Welcome to Life to the Full, a message to Christians. This is a podcast about the abundant life that God promises in Scripture. We want to inspire those who are frustrated with themselves and their communities to live a transformed life that will impact the world. Our primary purpose is to be a platform that will impact the world through conversation. We want to invite others to connect and unite in curiosity, vulnerability, and responsibility. A transformed life is about growth, learning, and evolving. A transformed life leads to transformed communities, and transformed communities impact the world. One conversation at a time. So last week, Jimmy shared and introduced the five dysfunctions of a team. He went up the triangle and talked about how in any group of people can become unhealthy. We saw how everything stems from an absence of trust. So as we move forward, today's episode, yeah, yeah. according to my lovely notes that he made me read this time, <laughs> is title The Path and the Pattern. Yeah, we're probably really going to get through uh, probably just the path okay. this week. We'll see. Maybe yeah. we can be ambitious and tackle the pattern as well. Um, but again, just like Patty said, we went up the triangle. We did. We did. And we looked at all the ways a group can become unhealthy mm-hmm. or dysfunctional or however you want to frame it. Something has gone wrong in the state of Denmark for all those Shakespeare nerds out there. Yeah, I guess it wasn't me. <laughs> Looking for some type of reaction. I got nothing. Crickets. Crickets. Uh, but but yeah, so you know, this is what people would consider a self-help book. Um, this probably isn't people's first go-to book when they're trying to figure out things about their church. Why is that? What do you think that's? I don't know. I feel like there's there's a lot of like secularization, like where people feel like there are things of the kingdom mm. and then there are things of the world, the world yeah. right? Or there are things that are in the church and there are things that are outside the church and any wisdom that's outside the church, uh, you know, that's, that's nice and everything for them, but it's not really directly applicable to my life, my church. Or how things are run, which I feel like is unfortunate because yeah. I feel like a lot of these uh, principles that are in a lot of these leadership books, self-help books, business books are actually biblically founded principles. Yes. You know, it's not necessarily like the proof text mentality of Christianity where you can just run to any scripture and rattle off like a list of do's and don'ts. I almost feel like it's bigger and deeper Mm-hmm. than how Christianity tends to use the scriptures. It tends to use bigger overarching principles yeah. that only when you know the entire story, you can really see uh, how it's applicable. Okay, so the upside down triangle. Mm-hmm. We're going we're gonna to camp out here for a little bit. And this is where I think a lot of organizations, churches, ministries, uh, small groups, this is where we all can go wrong. You know, and uh, I've been there. I've definitely uh, done this too. I think my natural instinct is to think of things this way. Um, You know, it seems like putting results first 
is the only way you you can plan it's like what, what do you mean like I, I think of a goal we come up with a goal right and then we back plan right a lot of books have been written about this uh, a lot of a lot of things have been taught around this right you know you make a goal and then you back plan so you have you have deadlines you mm-hmm. break up a big deadline benchmarks into little deadlines that become like benchmarks mm-hmm. and then you check in with each other every week right mm-hmm. and that should you should eventually get to wherever you're trying to go right mm-hmm. that's typical like planning mm-hmm. um it's kind of the world that uh stephen covey came out of his seven habits of highly effective people yeah. um and it was something that he had found in his own work in his own life uh, was inadequate you know and it just made people feel like a lot of shame and a lot of mm. guilt over not accomplishing Yes. What they said they were going to do. It made them feel inauthentic. It made them feel like fakes, failures, uh, running the whole gamut of emotions of just, you know, you could classify it all under shame. Yeah. Right? And guilt. So he felt like there was a better way. So he wrote his highly influential Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, uh, which we both, I know, highly recommend. Mm -hmm. Uh, That book absolutely changed my life. Uh, I had avoided reading it for, for many, many years. I remember first getting my hands on it as a college student uh, leading a local campus ministry and uh, just feeling that like, you know, there were things at the church and my ministry we weren't moving forward on quickly enough uh, or at all, you know. Uh, And so I I read the book and it was just like, at the time, it was just so much about like, I didn't understand it. I was like, this is supposed to be a great book I had heard about how to get things done and how to be like effective, Protective. you know, high, seven habits of highly effective people. I want to be an effective person. Mm-hmm. Like, and it was just like all this stuff about thinking and about your funeral and about reflecting. Your, your, and I was like, what is this? And I, I remember trying, I got to my 50 pages cause that's kind of always been my rule. I give a book at least 50 pages and then I just, you know, tossed it aside. Mm-hmm. And then years later, fast forward, uh, being in a very, fast-paced, high-stress work environment as a, you know, a director, as a leader, and just, you know, getting a week off, going to a cabin in the woods, you know, lots of fires, lots of walks, lots of great talks that even me and you had, and finally going through that book. And that's after me giving you this book like three years in a row to read it. I think you gave it to me three years in a row. You like wrote like stuff on the inside. Like, this is going to be so great for you. I'm so proud of you. And I was just like, okay, yeah, whatever. Whatever, chick. I have this pile of books I'm reading, but I will get to your book eventually. You know? Yeah, because back then you didn't really believe in self-help books. I, I had, I had a, yeah, you know, I kind of felt mm-hmm. like, you know, I, I think, you know, where a lot of people still are now, like, but the Bible, I have mm-hmm. the Bible. What do yeah. I need this for? Yeah. You know, like, I already know what I'm doing, mm-hmm. you know, like, uh, or I should, mm-hmm. you know, and it was all that, like, shame and guilt and yeah. just not really resonating with him. Mm-hmm. And then having, you know, reading that and fully reading it and being at the perfect point in my life where yes. I was, where was that, where I was. It's perfect timing. And yeah. the cabin made it magical. And the cabin and with just... With daily walks. You know, you get to a point where I feel like you, you're running into obstacles mm. and you're running into, like, just things aren't easy and things are hard. Yeah. And you kind of feel like you can never get ahead, you know, and you start asking yourself some of the big questions. Yeah. And then a book like that came along and it kind of, like, helped me ask some of those big questions. And then all, all of a sudden it, it, everything clicked and everything made so much more sense. Yeah. You know, and it changed my life from that. You know, I ended up uh, 
I think, resigning from that position about a year or two later. Mm, months. Months? Yeah. It, that was wow. August, and you resigned in October. Oh, wow. Oh, trust me, it's in the calendar. <laughs> <laughs> it's the best day of my life. Yeah. You know, then <laughs> Right I just, after a marriage. <laughs> we decided to build our business and mm-hmm. to build our own lives, you know, around you know, more that's in line with what our belief systems are, mm-hmm. what we believe, what we value, yep. you know, and um, we didn't, we, ne- we didn't necessarily value working, working, working just for work's sake and then not getting to spend time with each other, not getting to spend time traveling and, and all that fun stuff. Yep. So, yeah, so I had not such a great relationship with uh, self-help books <laughs> at the time. Yeah. Um, so the upside down triangle Right, putting results first, mm-hmm. you know, is kind of a big mistake that a lot of us make. Stephen Covey saw it as he came out of that whole, you know, I forget what you call it, but like personal productivity, like industry that he was in, right? Mm-hmm. So that kind of spawned his own thing, and that was from lessons he had learned about how that just doesn't didn't wasn't really working. Mm-hmm. Like there was a lot of books, a lot of literature, a lot of teaching around how why that should work. But his reality was like, it's just not working. I'm teaching this and people are people are failing. I'm failing, you know? So it forced him to take a step back. So it makes sense from a certain point of view that of course we want to know where we're going. Of course we want to know our goal, right? But I do think there's a better way. And so we're going to be talking about that today and understanding the path. But yeah, first we're going to just review the yes. upside down triangle. Good. So when you start with results first, mm-hmm. right, and um, we've kind of updated our upside down triangle, after results first, it's kind of split into two options. And mm-hmm. I feel like depending on which side of the fence you land on, mm-hmm. right, you're going to experience different sides of a coin or different sides of a problem in your organization, ministry, church, small group, right? Results first. This is what we're doing. This is where we're going. This is what we're this is what we're all about, right? And then it kind of splits, right? So when you're focused on results first, right? There's no real accountability mm-hmm. at that mm-hmm. point. It's either you feel like you have to be behind people with like a whip mm-hmm. and a stick, and you have to like you know beat them <laughs> over yeah. the finish line. Like maybe not actually. I don't think people are actually beating each other, mm-hmm. but it can feel like that. Man, I am the only one who cares about this. Mm-hmm. I am the only one doing this. Like we talked about this, guys. This is yeah. what we're going to do. What is up? Yeah. Or the other side where there's no accountability. And it's mm-hmm. like, guys, this is what we're going to do. And you come out in a meeting mm-hmm. and you never talk about it again. Okay. I've kind of lost track of the agendas I've heard in my life kind of like brought up mm-hmm. by different churches, organizations, ministries I've been a part of. Mm-hmm. And like it almost becomes like comical to me now that I know like I'm never – gonna hear about it again and you actually help me with this sometimes i want to be a jerk and i want to constantly be like sometimes hey (laughs) hey what about that thing we're doing like you know we said we were doing it last week and it was really really important we took 30 minutes to talk about it i want updates and it's like you know like if you don't do that you feel like that's the agenda that's never heard of again yeah it's like one of those unsolved mysteries so those are i can relate to feeling like i'm the only one like Mm -hmm. so absolutely yeah you know, I can definitely lean that way too. I mm-hmm. think that's where I, I live that's as well. That's where I get the whole lonely warrior yeah. uh, comments that I used to make to myself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's where a lot of my frustration came from with the no accountability, where things just get forgotten and dropped yep. that were important for a certain meeting or an email 
right. or you know whatever mm-hmm. which i think is next right uh yeah next after accountability there's commitment mm-hmm. and i think on either side of that like where you're like you feel like it's only you and, and you're the one who's like holding everyone accountable and you're like, but this is what we agreed on. Yeah. There's like that lackluster commitment. What did you mean by that? It just kind of means that like, you know, like it's tiring to be mm. the only one feeling that like this is important. So I think you, you could, the tendency can be just either give up mm. or just not understand why people are not committed. And uh, you might have a whole bunch of hard talks mm-hmm. and then people go like, yeah, you know what? I'm sorry. You're right. That should be my focus. I should be doing more of that. Mm-hmm. You know, like maybe it's, I should be sharing my faith more. You're mm-hmm. right. You know, or I should be better with my patience. You know, I should, I should be more loving. I should be more giving, whatever it is. Uh, but, you know, it's just like, doesn't really change. Even yeah. if people understand that they should. And on the other side, the no accountability, it's like, it's, it's, it's the same thing. It's like no lasting commitment. It just drops off the face of the earth. Like, this is what we were doing. And then it's gone. Yeah. You know, it's never spoken of again. And then moving up again, we have, you know, conflict uh, on the side of the, you know, inappropriate accountability, lackluster commitment. All of a sudden there's like a lack of conflict because then it becomes the culture is nobody is really doing and taking seriously what they all said they were going to do. And maybe that leader is still there all fired up Mm -hmm. about whatever it is or the individual. But it's like, no one else is really... he didn't get the buy-in. He didn't get the buy-in, mm-hmm. exactly. So no one is really, like, committed to it, mm-hmm. right? And on the other side, there can be, you know, the unhealthy conflict where people are just kind of holding people accountable for, like, nothing. You know, it's just like, roll of the dice. What's bothering me today right. about you? Or emotions, <laughs> really. Yeah. You, you, you approach someone out of anger. Mm-hmm. And that's when the harsh discipling can happen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then at the top, like where trust should be, mm-hmm. right? Um, we have on the side of the inappropriate accountability, kind of more of like the fiery, like we're going to get this done. There can be what's called like a performance-based mentality. Mm-hmm. So then maybe, you know, you have a church of 100, 200, 500 people, whatever. Mm-hmm. And you have those 20 people <laughs> that mm-hmm. actually like listened and actually were were in there helping with you right those are the people that are going to tend to rise Mm -hmm. and the problem with that is that that creates kind of like an us versus them mentality then you have a group of leaders right or a group of achievers who are you know bought into whatever it is that was the result that we all that they tried to decide that we're all going to do right and those are the ones that tend to move up in leadership right and it creates like it creates a dichotomy right or a uh, opposition Mm -hmm. where you have leaders who are really bought in or they appear to be bought in Mm -hmm. right because they're they're checking their boxes Mm -hmm. christianity then becomes about checking their boxes Mm -hmm. right and then there's a whole bunch of other people who you know are not checking off those boxers boxes (laughs) (laughs) not checking off those boxes and they're uh you know they can be labeled as struggling or they could just be seen as not committed, right? Yeah. I I love the upside down triangle. And, and the reason why, because I still remember uh, looking at the triangle with mm-hmm. lack of trust and then moving up. And then what I realized is that, well, our focus is backwards and it feels like we're walking on shells. Mm-hmm. And so when you flip the triangle, 
And when you do result first, you're literally on a tippy toe where you're like swaying back and forth and you're like, well, maybe I'm going to approach it this way, you know, and it almost becomes manipulative Mm -hmm. and almost maybe is a kind word, but most of the time it can become manipulative. So then on the other side, and now on the left-hand side, where we have no accountability, lack of commitment, unhealthy conflict, we get basically an absence of trust. Mm -hmm. So then you have a group of people who they're kind of just hanging out together, but they're not really real of each other. Like, you know, like it might still function as a church or a ministry where people are showing up, but you know, like people are showing up maybe and then they're they're wearing their church face. Like, you know. I mean, if you are lacking commitment or if you... think you're the only one doing something that's why would you have any trust why wouldn't wouldn't you be a bit bitter or if you checked out and you never had buy-in wouldn't those people like sound annoying to you (laughs) like yeah so-and-so is drinking the (laughs) kool-aid yeah right you know and i don't get it i don't get it i don't get it or even sometimes it can just be like people hang out and they still enjoy the friendship mm-hmm. there's some value there and them all getting together mm-hmm. but no one is like really real of each other right. like you know and i think sometimes you could spend a long amount of time with somebody yeah. and not really truly know them yeah you know? quantity versus quality yeah and yeah. i think this happens in churches too i think you know some people have even you know experienced that like they move into a ministry right and they feel like these people have known each other for years but because they have some things on correctly, it can feel like they're the only ones that have had a real relationship with these people. But they've been best friends of other people for years, and they don't really know each other. Yeah. Right? And so how can that be? So that, like, kind of in a nutshell, is the, the upside-down triangle. You know, still kind of, like, tweaking it. Love to hear your guys' comments and feedback about what you think about it. But the basic core idea is that when we put results first... Right, And that's how we live our lives. And that's how even we think about things. Mm -hmm. It really can lead to nothing but disaster. Mm -hmm. And I think, unfortunately... You tip over. You tip over. I think, Mm -hmm. unfortunately, because this is kind of just in the air and it's in our minds as that's that's what it takes to get things done, Mm -hmm. or that's what it means to be a group. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, that's what it means to, you know, plan and do things. And just, you know, be effective, right? Mm-hmm. You know, we all want to be good Christians, mm-hmm. right? We all want to change the world. We all mm-hmm. want to get in there and be Jesus, be that light of the world for other people. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, and it can be like, well, what are we going to do? We got to do something, yeah. right? So let's figure it out. Um, and I think, unfortunately, you know, it, one of the things I, I have like a love and hate relationship with like uh, the book of Revelation. Okay, I love the book of Revelation. Or I should say I've learned to love it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I didn't really like it at first because I didn't really know how to read it. Mm-hmm. You know, And it's it's actually funny because recently there's been some really good series. In the Bible Project. On the Bible Project, mm-hmm. they kind of did, they kind of broke some stuff on apocalyptic literature. Yes. That kind of Revealing. like. Revealing. Yeah, it was really, really good. It kind of like opens up 
I think for people, a lot of ways that we can get revelation wrong, mm-hmm. right? And uh, Bima is also in a they're in their point right now, currently as we're doing this episode, where they're in the Book of Revelation, and they're doing a really good job so far of just they always really do a good job, mm-hmm. but they're doing like a really really good job with this very difficult book that I think has caused people a lot of stress, you know. And I know for and me, confusion. when I first started going. Revelation for me kind of opened up the Bible for me because I realized that I didn't understand it. And one of the ways that I didn't understand it is because I didn't understand the whole Bible. Mm-hmm. But I could sense that it was pulling from things. It was pulling from a language. It was using a toolbox that I did not have access to. And I had not been taught or given. And so it kind of led me to read the whole Bible, right? And it helped me to pick out kind of some of that language, especially like in the book of Daniel and the other, you know, apocalyptic kind of works that are in the Bible and a lot of the prophets that kind of help me kind of then go back to Revelation and understand it much, much better. Um, But this diagram here is, I think, kind of, it kind of captures a lot of the way we think about things as Christians, right? So we've all heard the scripture and Revelations 3 uh, 14 to 16. 14 to 16. Would you like to read it for us? Uh, sure. To the church in... Boy, how do you pronounce that Laodicea, church? that's what I would say. <laughs> Laodicea. These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. Yeah, so I think this is, you know, an example of a scripture that would be preached and basically talking about lukewarmness, right? So you can see the diagram here. Cold could be like on the other side where there's no accountability, no lasting commitment, absence of trust. Mm -hmm. Or some people have even said, you know, being cold is just like... You don't even know about God. You don't even know about Jesus. You're in the world or you're not a Christian, right? And on the other side is hot, mm-hmm. right? That's where, you know, you know what you're doing. You know, you're moving up that ladder. You, you might not be everybody in your ministry, but there are some, right? And if we can only get everyone to be like those few that are really taking what I'm talking about seriously, if we could just get everyone to understand that they need to check off certain boxes, right, to be Christian, to be a good disciple, then we would be good. That'd be like on the hot side, mm-hmm. right? And the middle is lukewarm, where maybe you have some, like if the church is one person, mm-hmm. right? There are some people that are hot. There are some people that are cold. And so when you mix hot and cold, what do you get? Lukewarm. Lukewarm. And if you've ever had a coffee that's been sitting... Oh, it's gross. <laughs> for many, many hours. Mm. Um, you know, it's funny. When I was... Uh, uh, take one dose student mm-hmm. you know when I was like 10 years old mm-hmm. I was like one of the youngest of the highest belts mm-hmm. so I would get all the grunt jobs what does that mean um, like so basically I was the person who had to get everyone's lunch so mm-hmm. to give me a big wad of cash because mm-hmm. it was like the 80s or the 90s <laughs> right to go like buy stuff people just like hand me bills mm-hmm. you know and they trusted me too to like give them back change and I was very good at it mm-hmm. keeping all their change separate and, uh, I can see that. <laughs> but I was also in charge of, you know, getting the coffee. Okay. So, you know, I'd go get the coffees, bring them in. But uh, my teacher learned to love the taste of lukewarm coffee. 
So everyone else would drink their coffee right away, mm-hmm. right? But he would wait, and I think at the time we were there like eight hours or something like that from early in the morning wow. on a Saturday to like, you know, late afternoon. And he would like it like midday. He's like, ah, oh, lukewarm coffee. But most people, I think when they drink lukewarm co- lukewarm coffee, it's very like gross. Like you just yes. want to like spit it out of your mouth. Yes. Right? So you know, the kind of idea there of like kind of like, in my opinion, misappropriating the scripture would be like, okay, so we have a bunch of lukewarm Christians. We have a bunch of Christians that don't understand they need to check off boxes. But we have a group that they're great. They're checking off boxes like crazy, right? So we have to get those other people who are cold, right, who's making us all lukewarm. Mm. We got to get them their act together because we need to be hot, mm. right? Or Jesus is going to spit us out of his mouth. This has kind of been preached to, uh, you know, get people on board with this results-based Christianity. To get hot. Yeah, to get hot. Like, mm-hmm. guys, we had boxes we needed to check off. Mm-hmm. We had things to do. Mm-hmm. We all agreed, right? We mm-hmm. all studied the Bible. We studied the same things. Mm-hmm. We all said yes. So we're supposed to do and whatever, you know, group that you're part of, whatever those boxes may be. You know, maybe it's studying the Bible with people. Maybe it's baptizing. Inviting people to church. Inviting people to church. Uh, whatever those boxes are, you know, mm-hmm. it becomes a results-based or a performance-based uh, mentality. So what I want people to understand here is that this is what results-based Christianity produces. Okay, It produces groups of people who are both, in a sense, hot and cold. Mm-hmm. Right. It produces people who some people are checking off those boxes and they're doing great. And some people are not. And it's not so great. So as a group, they become lukewarm mm-hmm. and they're in danger of losing their Christianity or becoming something that God's not happy with. Right. And I think the key is to understanding this scripture is to understand that this scripture is having a totally different conversation mm-hmm. than what we've typically made of it. Mm-hmm. And how can we get the sense that there's something else going on here than getting people to get things done, getting people to check off the boxes of whatever their Christianity has become. So what is the scripture really trying to say with this first? There is a larger, deeper story, mm-hmm. as we're going to see, that becomes the pattern that gets repeated in the overarching story of the Bible mm-hmm. and over and over in little ways. But before we go there, we're going to look at a path to go out of, to become healthy, we're going to look at the path uh, that we want to go through with our small groups and our ministries of how we're really going to want to get to where we want to be. So the path, okay? The pathway out of dysfunctional groups into functional groups begins with trust. Mm -hmm. So as we're going to be talking about for this summer, trust is key. Trust is basically everything. It is the one thing that makes everything else easier or unnecessary. If you don't have trust, you cannot have the rest of what you need. Yeah. So, you know, if you can imagine again that, you know, five dysfunctions of a triangle uh, five dysfunctions of a team. Five dysfunctions of a team, that triangle, right side up, right? Where it has basically absence of trust, 
fear of conflict, lack of commitment, avoidance of accountability, and inattention to results. Mm -hmm. And so now we're going to travel up that Mm -hmm. dysfunctional triangle, that dysfunctional pyramid, right? The Mm -hmm. five dysfunctions. And we're going to think about how we can correct that or we can heal that. Mm -hmm. And it all begins and ends with trust. Trust takes a long time to gain and it can be lost almost instantaneously if we're not careful. So it's something that we have to constantly build. And Patty, what would you say is the one way that we can develop and maintain trust? The theme of our summer. (laughs) Which is? Increasing the vulnerability. Vulnerability. So what does the vulnerability have to do with trust? It opens... No. It helps shrink the gap between leaders and their teams and ministries. That's great. A lot of, unfortunately, a lot of people think the vulnerability is sharing their conversion story. Sure. Or one-time failures Mm -hmm. that they did way back 20, 30 years ago and how they went from there to now. And that approach creates... That approach increases that gap because then I'm looking at the leader as like, whoa, now he or she is living the right way. They're amazing. Look at them now. They're amazing. And what is wrong with me? I've Mm. been a disciple for 20 years and I'm still here. So it creates this, they're better and I'm not. And the gap begins to open up. Even though I don't think... It's intentional most of the time. I don't think people are trying to put people down when they do that. But I think that kind of captures what we were talking about the other day about the difference between vulnerability and authenticity. Mm-hmm. Or transparency. Or transparency. Mm-hmm. How would you define that difference between vulnerability and transparency? Yeah. Well, what was the other word besides transparency that you just used? Authenticity. Oh, okay. Authenticity. So... I'll start with (laughs) authenticity. Thank you. (laughs) Um, It's more like, hey, I'm I'm letting you know who I was. Or I'm letting you know what I think. I'm Mm -hmm. letting you know who I am. Vulnerability is saying, I really don't like this about me. But I'm going to tell you anyway. Right. Uh, I'm going to be open about this current struggle. Yeah. And it also opens you up to being hurt by other people. Possibly. Yeah. yeah. Or judge. Because we all know people, and I think I've been this person, who I'm really real with how I think and what I think about you and how I think everything is not good. Right. But I'm not necessarily opening myself up and being vulnerable. Right. I'm not allowing someone in to, you know, I still have like that thick skin. Like, you know, I'm being authentic because, you know, like I'm tough and I say it how it is. You know, I'm never going to lie to you. I'm going to tell you what I think when I think it. How did you transition to realizing that you're not vulnerable? Um, I think, you know, I think Brene Brown really helped. Uh, I think uh, my own journey of just, you know, taking a risk 
and letting people in that I led, you know, like against, you know, the uh, popular opinion that you really can't let people know that you're leading, how much you struggle with whatever, right, or what's going on with you currently. I think that really helped me uh, to see the value of being vulnerable because then it wasn't just people who I was leading. They were my friends. They were my partners in this. What was that? You had a, like a cognitive transition in that world when you were like, whoa, we were actually sitting right yeah. here. Because I was like, yeah. It was yeah. really a few months ago. I'm, I'm vulnerable. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like I, I'm real with people. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, you're authentic, mm-hmm. but vulnerability is different. Yeah, and I remember saying that because, and, and I know the book has this, that how do you build trust is by going first. Right. That's vulnerability. Mm-hmm. It's initiating regardless if other people are going to be vulnerable or not. Yep. And going first in their relationship. Mm-hmm. And uh, because, again, like you were saying, yeah, I'm open. I could tell people how, what I think. But it takes courage to be the first one. It takes courage to initiate. It takes courage to invite someone and get a no. Yeah. It takes courage to open yourself up to a friendship and been told no. Mm-hmm. And it hurts. And, and uh, I know for me... Um, I started the vulnerability journey, yes, by reading this book. However, I made that cognitive shift, the hmm, that aha moment when I was kamaring the kitchen. I had pulled a whole bunch of stuff out and I had a friend who was going to come in at 3 o'clock and Mm. she calls me at 1 o'clock. And guess what I'm doing? I'm still Kamari, so I have the plenty of time. Middle of your mess. <laughs> I have plenty of time mm-hmm. for to clean this up. And um, so she calls me, and it's not like, hey, I'll be there at 2. It was like, <laughs> I'm outside. <laughs> and I had to like stop for a second and say, do I show her my mess? <laughs> mm. Or do I reschedule? And I didn't have a choice because it was literally the knock was right there. I think I think she she was like getting like parking, right? Parking the car. <laughs> and it was just giving me a heads up that she's there. Wow. And so I, I had a moment um to choose between being wide open of where I'm at currently versus let me put things away. Let me clear the counter because that's actually a tip to tidying up your place, right? You sure, want yeah. clear cuts in your mm-hmm. kitchen, yeah. not little items. And that for me um, was about um, trusting the fact that does it really matter how I'm going to be judged? Mm. And I realized that I'm... I fear being judged by my current status. And um, going first is saying, hey, look, I'm a mess. And I'm still in that journey. And I was actually literally a year, no, actually 
almost a year and a half that I read this book. And and the reason why we even named this summer theme increasing, it's because we're we're trying to drive a point that no one's gonna get there. <laughs> we're not gonna be like, oh, I'm affordable, guys. Mm-hmm, I did mm-hmm. it. I am here. Yep. You know, I once was not vulnerable, and now I am. Yep. It's just adding to your vulnerability, adding of initiating, or like you mentioned, of putting yourself out there for the potential of being hurt. Yeah. And yeah, I think it's you know it's truly being the people of the light. It's true, truly loving the light versus the darkness, yes. right? And it's like we're not strategically being open, uh, mm. you know, to check check off a box, yeah. right? Or to use a sermon illustration, or it's like, oh, I need to connect with people, so I need to know, I need to let them know my journey, how how far I've come, because I yeah. used to be like in this this situation, but yeah. now I've had all these victories or whatever. Um, you know, it's really more of like a constant opening up of yourself mm-hmm. to other people. I think, you know, you know, it was very much like Jesus. You know, Jesus was constantly being vulnerable, yep. uh, not to give too much away of the pattern. You know, and even like, you know, you think of Paul, you know, talking about how he was dealing with people like a mother nursing their children. Mm-hmm. Right. So he was like really being vulnerable in a lot of his letters about, you know, how he was pouring out his life and his soul and really sharing his life with them you know um so being being vulnerable yeah being vulnerable is the pathway to creating trust right and a leader can do this a leader can really change his group or her group uh by daring to go first Mm -hmm. in that vulnerability you know it's taking a really sober look and i think this is like very brave Mm -hmm. and i I know it's not easy because I've been there, mm-hmm. but I, I think sometimes when we have problems in our groups and our ministries, the tendency can be really to blame other people, mm-hmm. whether wherever we are in the organization, whether we're at the top, we're in the middle, or we're at the bottom, right? You know, like the, the temptation can be like it's a it's other people, it's not me, right. you know, and in a sense, like we're all the heroes in our own stories, and it's very you know telling that none of us really like cast ourselves as the villain right like it's not us it's Mm -hmm. other people Mm -hmm. right it's the people i lead or it's my leader (laughs) Mm -hmm. it's the people around me you know it's you like you know if if we're having trouble in our marriage of course it's not me right maybe it's you yeah maybe you're the problem so you were talking about leaders must cultivate this by going first yeah and i think it can be a really brave thing to be like okay maybe some of the roadblocks we're hitting, maybe some of the problems, may, maybe it's me, right? And just taking that initial responsibility and then just being vulnerable with the group yeah, about the things that affect you and being vulnerable in such a way that, you know, being brave enough to know that this could go bad and if it goes bad, there could be some consequences, you know, but daring to trust, right, creates that opportunity where you now can create a group you can create an environment where people are no longer afraid to be vulnerable so honey do you mind if i share something from the book dare to lead that we we hope that you guys picked it up for your summer reading sure yeah summer reading so this is in page 30 when Brene brown is talking about the marble jar what does that mean? 
Okay, so here's the story from her. When my daughter Ellen was in third grade, she came home from school one day, closed the door behind her, looked at me, and then literally slid down the front door, buried her face in her hands, and started sobbing. My response, of course, was, Oh my God, Ellen, are you okay? What happened? Something really embarrassing happened at school today. And I shared it with my friends and they promised not to tell anyone. But by the time we got back to class, everyone in my whole class knew. I could feel the slow rising of my internal mama bear. <laughs> Ellen told me that if it had been so bad that Ms. Balcoon, her third grade teacher, took half of the marbles out of the marble jar. In her classroom, there's a big jar for marbles. When the class collectively makes good decisions, they get to put marbles into the jar. When the class collectively makes bad decisions, marbles come out. Ms. Bakum took marbles out because everyone was laughing, apparently, at Ellen. I told my daughter how sorry I was, and she looked at me and said, I will never trust anyone again Whoa. in my life. Ouch. My heart was breaking with mm. hers. My thought, my first thought was, well, I'm not going to say that word, but like, mm, straight, you trust your mama and that's it. <laughs> and when you go to college, I'm going to get a little apartment right next to the dorm Whoa. and you can come and talk to me. <laughs> <laughs> An appealing idea at that time. But instead, I put my fears and anger aside and started trying to figure out how to talk to her about trust and connection. As I was searching for the right way to translate my own experiences of trust and what I was learning about trust from the research, I thought, ah, the marble jar, perfect. I'm gonna pause right here because a few things came to mind. Mm. We all have that story where our trust was broken. Yeah, we all have a reason why we don't trust and why we're not vulnerable. And it all happened between the ages of one and eight years old, which is, this is very accurate. Hmm. Third grade is eight years old. We all could go back if we really dig in to our childhood when that, what we said, as Ellen said, I will never trust anyone again in my life. Wow. We said it. I've yeah. said it. And I love that as Mama Bear, Brene Brown Mama Bear, one thing that she said that right now gave me chills, she said, I put my fears and anger aside. She understood this is not about her, right? This, this is about her daughter. And I'm going to continue reading. I told Ellen, we trust the people who have earned marbles over time in our life. Whenever someone supports you or is kind to you or sticks up for you or honors what you share with them as private, you put marbles in the jar. You. When people are mean or disrespectful or share your secrets, marbles come out. 
We look for the people who over time, keyword over time as you build, put marbles in and add in and add in until you look up one day and they're holding a full jar. Those are the folks you can tell your secrets to. Those are the folks you trust with information that is important to you. I love this story because it a few words here is adding to mm. the jar yeah. by focusing on the people who have added trust. Yeah. And I love this story, and I and, and I want to share that because there is <clears throat> the fear of trust comes from our childhood in our first yeah disappointment. You know, and I I do kind of feel though, like for many Christians, mm. especially as Christians who were converted, uh, you know, as adults, as young adults, or mm-hmm. at, at any age, there is kind of like a spiritual infancy too. Mm-hmm. I think where a lot of people come into their churches like very open and very vulnerable and kind of have those moments again where they learn okay like i I can't trust these people like i was open about something you know like i I was looking for help or i was being vulnerable about something that was bothering me and some bad things happened because of that like there were some punitive you know things so like for me as as a young christian you know, I can remember, you know, I I bought into this, you know, mm-hmm. like this was amazing. I finally found a group of people where we can be real with each other that I could trust yeah. and just really started just being open about like sin and different things in my own life, different things I was struggling with. And it got to a point where it felt like like the church just couldn't handle it, mm-hmm. you know. So if I was like in a leadership position if like there were some things that you could confess, but if you confessed other things, it was just like, take the guy out. Mm. He's got to get out. Or, you know, like even being vulnerable with, hey, I think I'm reading my Bible here differently than the rest of you. Could we could we talk about this? You know, because I think maybe we're missing some stuff. Take that person out of leadership, you know. So I think there's certain sins that could be struggling. And I think also like the idea of false doctrine, where it's just like you be vulnerable and then things happen where, like, they almost try and minimize your influence. You didn't feel like we, you could trust. I didn't feel like I could trust the people who uh, were in my life, mm-hmm. you know? So I felt like, okay, like, I had to be, I felt, like, strategic with who I was vulnerable with, mm-hmm. um, you know? And, uh, and that's okay. Yeah, and I think that's okay. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. And the Is thing it, I, oh. go ahead. Because we could run into, you need to be like Jesus and trust your leader. Mm. You need to be like Jesus and do all this. And, you know, Jesus had 12 disciples, not all of them. Yeah. And then Jesus had his inner circle. Yeah. So wh- why force people to, they have to trust others. Right. Trust is earned. Trust is earned. Trust is earned, and it's not unbiblical to say that. And it could be lost, you know, very quickly. When what happened to Ellen could happen yeah. to you. Or when people talk about you, trust is lost. Mm. Wow, it's funny now, because now you're saying stuff about childhood. Mm-hmm. It's bringing me back to, like, me and my dad, mm. you know? And my dad was very much like, you need to listen to me because I'm your father. Mm. And I'd be like, Why? You haven't mm-hmm. earned my trust. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like, 
you haven't proven that you're a capable parent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, to me, mm-hmm. like, uh, so what, why would I listen to you? Mm-hmm. You know, like, why would I trust you? You know, yeah. like, you've constantly let me down, constantly, like, and so I think for me, it's like, I kind of, like, went my own way. And I, I searched out for, like, father figures in my own life. Yeah. And for people who could, like, you know, parent me, in mm-hmm. a sense, because, you know, I think at that point, the relationship between me and my dad had become so damaged mm-hmm. that I just, I didn't trust him anymore. Yeah. You know, but I think as children, right, you know, we need, we need help. We need nurturing. Mm-hmm. So I think there was a part of me that then turned and sought that out in other ways. Yeah. You know, other people, other, other pursuits. That's a great example. Mm. And in, in a lot, an alarm just went in my head. Mm as of just making sure that as a leader that I remember that my job is to cultivate yes. uh, trust. Mm-hmm. That, that is my job, you know. Um, I remember with my, my first group, after the team reading this book, I said, we're going to block everything else. And for this year, and maybe possibly next year, I'm going to focus on trust. That is my number one job. And that's your number one job with your units. And that's your unit's job with the children. Yeah. And <clears throat> because if not us, people are going to look somewhere else. Mm. And thank you for being vulnerable that you were looking for that father figure in, in sports, in taekwondo, in... Yeah. Um, astronomy sure, you know yeah. you were looking for these mentors mm-hmm. um and that's very human it, we are drawn to mentorship yeah. and mentorship is built over time yep absolutely yeah i think you know it is our responsibility as leaders to you know cultivate that environment mm-hmm. and i think you know it does begin with us going first us yep. learning how to be vulnerable uh, with our groups, with our ministries, whatever. Um, but I think it, it's also like cultivating that environment where we can tell each other anything and there's there's not going to be any repercussions. Yes. You know, there's not going to be any consequences to you being open with me right now. Yeah. Whether you're in a, tr- a position of leading other people, mm-hmm. right, or, or anything, there's going to be no labeling, you're not going to be labeled as struggling. You're not going to be labeled as just not being in a good place, mm-hmm. working things out. It's going to be just like we can tell each other anything yeah. because being that type of group is important to me. Yeah. You know, and I, I remember even, um, you know, working in the after school field and I used to tell my staff all the time, you know, and I, I really tried to back this up with my actions. Uh, if you are struggling with your groups, uh, I will help you. I will come to your class and I, I will help you. I will provide you resources. I will pay you to come early, you know, to get prep time or whatever it is that you need, you know. But if you're not being vulnerable, you're not telling us that and you're just, you know, you're hurting children because of your lack of vulnerability because we all want to be vulnerable here. This might not be the right job for you. Yeah. You know, I, I remember telling my staff, you need five minutes. I'm out of the office. I'll cover you. Yeah. I'll, I'll take over your classroom. Yeah. And maybe one or two took me up on that promise. 
and yeah. I was super happy. Amen. Yeah. I'm going to go in there, probably do a song or something like that. Yeah. I, so. I had most people actually take me up on stuff like that. And then it's like, you know, it made my job harder in the short term because then I had like 10 people wanting me to come to their class, mm-hmm. you know, but it created me, created opportunities where I could coach them and I could help them and they could see it, see it done. Uh, that brings up something else. And I know this is, this goes back to Brene Brown and I know we're spending a lot of time here in trust. Get your books. However, that is the most important one. So check this out because you said it might it took time yes for you so in i wasn't able just to do that in a meeting and then my life was great (laughs) in page 67 or you said it at the meeting but you followed through right and you actually got yourself out of the office just like Mm -hmm. i literally left my office from either talking to a principal a parent a stakeholder and i went to that classroom yeah and if I could say something else about that, too, um, one of the things that I found helpful, too, like in kind of like relation to that, is that I tried to get them to be very comfortable with me coming into their room. So I came into their room like all the time. And it was never like if I saw something there that was like not good. It wasn't like they were getting written up or they were getting like an employee notification. It was like we had a conversation about it, like, you know, so it kind of made them very comfortable with like me or with a scary boss, like coming in. And actually, like, caring about them, like, you know, helping them out or, like, you know, talking to them later in a way that, like, they didn't make them feel like their job was threatened if they didn't shape up. But, like, how we could, like, support each other just to get this done. Wow. So the, the story I'm sharing, it's from my first sight as a leader. And as you're saying that, I, I know the kind of leader I was when I didn't leave my off um, when I didn't leave my office mm. and that's huge because as, as you go up in the ranks and you're doing more of the monitoring um, you're less on the field and it was different because I'm thinking of one site in particular where I only left my office when I had to do reviews where I had to monitor mm. and it was very different and I did not connect with that site that site I might have just connected with just a few people, but not everybody. Yeah. And I'm going to read, um, as I was saying earlier, this is Dare to Lead, page 67. Uh, it says, leaders must either invest a reasonable amount of time attending to fears and feelings or squander an unreasonable amount of time trying to manage ineffective and unproductive behavior (laughs) wow that's good yeah i I believe that ties down even right now as i'm i'm reflecting um myself in different sites and who i had who was part of my team and building that trust versus not spending that time in the field and because I was caught up as the new director, I'm the new sure, kid yeah. in town, mm-hmm. and I gotta get all this paperwork together. Yep. And it was a huge difference. And I, I wanna give a shout out to church leaders who have gone on Zoom on day one after George Floyd and said, guys, what are you feeling? Mm-hmm. What's up? What's happening? Yep. 
I want to listen. Mm -hmm. And as a matter of fact, there's one leader in particular that I have in mind who we were in, we were talking about the podcast and maybe coming over to podcast sure, on yeah. YouTube. And we're still hoping to have them. And yes, however, she put everything aside to attend to her ministry needs at this time yeah. right now. Absolutely. So I hope... I know you're in the middle of the mist here. I hope that you one day you get to listen to this podcast because I love your sense of responsibility to take the time to listen. And, you know, speaking of trust, speaking of producing vulnerability by leaders cultivating, by going first, and people feeling they could be open without any repercussions, it's key. It's allowing people to talk. It doesn't matter how it comes out. <laughs> yeah. It's allowing that space. It's sure. creating a safe environment. Yeah. And I think like a rules-based Christianity or a performance-based Christianity, mm -hmm. right? Results first Christianity. Yeah. Um, that could, it makes it almost impossible to foster an environment like this. Yeah. Because someone says something to you. And there's alarm bells going off in your head. And you're like, I, I have to fix this. I have to fix this. Yeah. You know, like, or I have to do something about this. This person is now dangerous because yeah. they're not checking the boxes. They're not, they're not, there's not, they don't have the right results, right? Yeah. We're not on the same page where I think that could be a, a misreading of the global scriptures, of the scriptures globally, I should say, where we're looking for like, um, that proof text kind of reading of the scriptures where it's like, okay, we have to find out the rules. We have mm -hmm. to find out how to be righteous, mm -hmm. right? You know, versus like understanding, as we'll see, the larger story of the Bible where trust and vulnerability really take precedence over everything else, <laughs> you know? And um, I think it's, it's really important that leaders take it seriously yeah. and that they begin to try and figure out how can I cultivate uh, environments like this and um, sharing another example from after school world because I was also once that brand new director who wanted to get everything right you know I remember like my first week um, the woman who had kind of trained me in after school right and um, she had helped me get that job where I was now going to be like the after school director at that site uh, she saw clearly visiting me right that I had some issues with my staff right and she told me and, there, and she was like, you, you need to spend more time with them. And here I am, I have like binders getting all ready for the Department of Health for, you know, different audits we had and everything. And she was kind of like, okay, you're not going to, you're not going to be ready. That's not as important right now. I want you to stop all the paperwork and you need to make it a priority to spend time with your staff because they need you. <laughs> they don't know what they're doing. They're struggling. They need to have that one-on-one -on -one connection with you. It's dangerous to focus on how you're going to be judged based on your performance. Yes. Because we we have reviews at the end of the year. Yeah. And um, DOH, that's serious because if you don't have the paperwork, your site could shut down. Yeah. Um, and all the odds are against you. The pressure from Department of Health and the pressure from your regional leader, your pressure from the parents, yeah. your pressure from... Uh, your staff absolutely is yeah. there so we we understand the pressure sure and um, my heart goes out to regional leaders mm. because I do know that 
your income depends on the number of members you have or the contribution you're or able to bring the, in or the contribution you're able to bring in and it's gotta be it's yeah. gotta be challenging and so we, we certainly can relate to that um however we're encouraging we're inviting you guys to tip this triangle and and stand on the solid first rock that is building trust mm-hmm so what's after trust, honey? Are we ready to leave trust? I feel like there's still like so I mean, much more. We could camp out here if we want. We, we could. I think, you know, also too, we're going to be talking uh, in, in later episodes about mm-hmm. like practical ways that we can go about, okay, I, I'm on the same page with you guys. I agree. How can I build trust with my group mm-hmm. now? And I think we're, we're going to get there eventually. We're going to be talking about... Or better, uh, yeah, better question is, how do I initiate yes. trust? Mm-hmm. How do I start the process yeah. of cultivating trust? Because, again, we can be result-oriented. It's like, yeah, I'm going to build it yeah. in one retreat. <laughs> yeah. And we're, we're, we're saying, no, no. we're actually going <laughs> to open the envelope. Like, you yeah. just got an invitation to this banquet. Yes. And we're literally just handing out the invitation mm-hmm. card when not even open it yeah. yet. <laughs> yeah, I think the value of the training that we can bring and mm-hmm. the, the book that, you know, we're going to get together that, that can help, you know, churches, ministries, small groups is that it does open up the conversation. It does mm-hmm. start the journey. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is kind of up to you to continue that, which yes. is why I feel like, you know, continual training or continually bringing consultants in that aren't part of your regular leadership team, that aren't part of your regular church, it is very, very important. Mm-hmm. It's been important for me and my own leadership mm-hmm. to bring people in to pay them, you know, to come in and analyze my mess, <laughs> mm-hmm. even if I thought like I, everything was great, mm-hmm. you know, because an extra set of eyes, unbiased eyes, a lot of times can see things that you can't. I love that you said that. I was uh, asked today, well, no, this was in Slack, maybe two days ago, but today I got a chance and opportunity to write the answers to this. And so one of the question is, so if it's 8.34 a.m. and somebody calls you and says, listen, my presenter or my trainer cancel, can you come and train and give a presentation at 4.30 p.m.? What do you do? Whoa. What will be your next move? And my first move is I will ask the host, what is your biggest frustration? What's your objective? And then I'll ask this very key question. And I know I've done this in summer camps and after school where I say, what is it that you constantly tell your staff over and over again? It's like this one thing that you hit all the time that they're honestly a little sick and tired of you, <laughs> of you saying that. Yep. And the reason why I ask that is because when I had Global Arts to go or all these consultants coming to my site, Emmy, shout out to Emmy, she asked me that question. Mm. And I was like, why do you ask that question? Because, you know, I, I asked, well, what do you ask? Um, why are you asking me that, Emmy? She goes, because that question also comes from me, the outsiders. 
they're not going to pay attention to you. <laughs> <laughs> and I was yeah. like, mind blown. Yes. You know, mind blown to the fact it's like, Patty, I'm here to support you. Because nobody likes a preacher. <laughs> Sorry, that's kind of... Like, I know this is a message to Christians. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But no one likes to be preached to. Exactly. Right? They and, and so it's just saying we are all aligned here. This is what other leaders want their teams to see something because they know that this is going to benefit their people. And because she's coming to train whether my my leaders or my line staff what's the purpose the purpose is what the purpose was to bring amazing programs for who them it was the children yeah it was about the children and so i love that question because it just reminded me of the power of having an outside person coming in to remind us what the whole story is about. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's true. And I, I think it kind of brings us back to the other diagram too before about the hot and cold and lukewarm. Mm. You know, I think if, you know, you're having that results first, right, you know, you, you can kind of feel frustrated. Like yeah. you said, you know, you would ask the person who you're going to go do that training about because yeah. they can feel like they're saying it to their staff or over. their or their, uh, their ministries, their ministries mm-hmm. over and over and over again. And they're like a broken record, mm-hmm. right? You know, and it's because like we have the way we're going about everything is all wrong. Yes. And we need to turn everything back upside down yes. and get rid of this results-based Christianity, this performance-based mentality of that we have to get everyone hot, right? Because yes. if we have some people who are cold, we're going to be lukewarm, right? Um, or the or if you even think about it globally, a church tends to hire or tends to promote people who have you know, if, if this is kind of the paradigm they're operating from, the people who are able to check all those boxes, mm-hmm. right, in a performance-based, results-oriented ministry, mm-hmm. they're the ones who tend to rise. Mm-hmm. And then you, so you have leaders moving up who are excelling at that performance-based, checklist sort of Christianity, right? And then we're sending them out to regions where, like, you know, like, they, they want to operate their group, like, the way they've found success. Yep. As Christianity and it's their career yeah. right and it just it just doesn't work yeah you know and you have to learn how to accept that mm-hmm. that that's how you see it mm-hmm. right and that's okay because mm-hmm. I think it, it's easier just to be told what to do mm-hmm. I think at a, I think at yeah. a certain level we just we just want to know the answers most mm-hmm. of us we just want to know like uh, how do I do this mm-hmm. but if we can turn it around and be like okay like that's the wrong question mm-hmm. the wrong question isn't how do we get things done or how do we? What are the boxes we need to check? Yeah. But it's how do we foster the communities that God would want, mm-hmm. that Jesus would want us to bring into the world, and I think that comes, you know, from a spirit of vulnerability and trust. So that's the base. That's the, path, that's the first step in the pathward outward. And um, again, in future episodes during the summer, we're going to try and camp out or what are some practical ways. If we visited uh, your church or your ministry, what, what would be some things we would do day one, you know, to try and like push that forward? So um, 
just to kind of wrap this up here, because mm-hmm. I think we could we could talk a few more hours more about trust mm-hmm. if we had to. We could probably be here all week, all month, right? Mm-hmm. It's something that always needs to be talked about, always needs to be plumbed and right. kind of like explored. And that's where we're increasing vulnerability, yep, not achieving vulnerability. We're not achieving it. Yeah, we're increasing because mm-hmm. you, ne- you don't achieve vulnerability. I am vulnerable. <laughs> I have the power. All my He-Man fans out there. Anyone? Anyone? Okay. Uh, oh, oh, that was Thundercats. Oh, I messed up the cartoons. It's okay. Jeez, that's embarrassing. We're okay. erasing that. You know why? Because you're not a nerd, and that's okay. <laughs> I am a nerd. You are a nerd, but you're a different kind of nerd. Are you saying I'm not like book smart nerd? No, I'm. I'm saying like you're not like. Let me go watch my Star Wars. Wow, that was my like insecurity right there about yeah. the book smart. You're you're brilliant. <laughs> you're very very smart. You're emotionally more intelligent than I am. That's true. You know, yeah, <laughs> but okay. So trust, vulnerability, is the beginning of the path. Mm-hmm. And next time we're gonna complete the path. But the way the path goes really quickly is trust, then conflict, then commitment, then accountability, and then finally results. Right. And as we'll see, results kind of spring naturally and organically from a healthy group that has traveled this path and is continuing to travel this path. Yes. And may I add an analogy that I thought about? So I think about a fruit. Mm. I think about that the the goal of this apple tree is to produce apples. Mm -hmm. And the question is, shall we pay attention to the soil or should we use pesticides pesticides and some wax coating for the fruit to look pretty Mm. and when we look at the results first we're actually thinking pesticides and wax coating instead of the root right so if we let's look at the tree from the root up instead from the tip of the apple down yeah and just to uh you know Add to that? Add to that. Is that that's okay? Of course. Um, you know, if you think about it too, the way most farmers look at soil and crops, mm. it's like a one way results mentality. Like I have a field, I have corn, I'm gonna grow corn. Now there are huge problems in this, right? Which we've learned. Mm-hmm. Because every time you use the soil to grow something, that seed and that crop is going to pull nutrients out of the soil. Mm-hmm. Because the earth was not made to just make one thing <laughs> over and over and over again, right? Plants, trees, fruits, and veggies in their natural environments, they thrive in environments that are complicated, that have predators and prey and dirt and waste from animals and insects. <laughs> and so by using all these insecticides, herbicides, fungicides, you know, like we're trying to maximize our crop, but then every year we're forced to then repair the soil through fertilization to get some of those n- nutrients back into the soil. Some some of that zinc, manganese, other complex nutrients, right, and macronutrients, all that would happen naturally in a more wild environment, mm-hmm. right? So I think, yeah, I think another way of looking at that is that if you have a field, you know, and think about what happened when we over farmed in America, right? 
we had what was called the Great Dust Bowl, mm. where we had depleted the soil of the Great yeah. Plains so much that basically like some wind picked up and a whole layer of soil just went away yeah. and became this dust cloud yeah. that like it, it actually killed a lot of people because yeah. they choked in the dust. It spoiled all the food where like if we look at the process of making food mm-hmm. or farming as more organic, right? And how do we allow those predators and prey to come in? How do we create and maintain a complex environment, mm-hmm. right? Where the ground is doing what complex it was meant to do, mm-hmm. right? We're allowing some like waste necessarily because maybe we won't get... And diversity. And diversity. We won't get that full crop, right? You know, if, if all we want to do is sell corn... We might not get a field full of corn, mm-hmm. but how can we, you know, better use the soil yeah. to create something that's more lasting mm-hmm. that produces a better harvest <laughs> in the long run? This is so funny that we're now speaking of harvest because the other thought I had as you were sharing that Whoa. is that so a good farmer, a smart farmer also knows that certain crop grows in certain seasons. Mm. <laughs> Not like this. It's over time. Every season is different. Yeah. And we need to allow that time yep. to create trust. Mm-hmm. To focus on the soil, on the roots of the trees that are going to produce yeah. these amazing fruits. So, I mean, you know, being in churches that, you know, like just haven't done well in the past like decade or two, you know, where they're kind of constantly in the same place. Mm. Right. You know, but then like, how do you how do you push that forward? You know, I think it takes like looking at things differently. You know, just going back to the farm metaphor, I think when you're trying to just do one thing with your soil, Mm. right, you're trying to, to produce one thing. It become you know very results oriented. Uh, you can always come back to well, we just need to get more like into whatever we were trying to do, and you go for more results, more results instead of maybe thinking that there's a different way of doing things that kind of turns that upside down, right? You know, let's not focus on results. Let's focus on making that complicated, rich, and diverse soil, right? Yes. Where we with have diverse people with diverse people we have all types of stuff going on right and diverse just doesn't mean minorities Ethnicity. right it means everybody mm-hmm. it means a diverse diversity of opinion age a diversity of age a, des- a diversity of thought a diversity of Strength. even like ways of reading the bible like you know and just kind of like letting that complexity be mm-hmm. fostering it nurturing it protecting it yes Right, and then seeing that that land itself will produce everything you need. Right, everything you were trying to get before, just by results and results and checklists, and this is what we need to do. Right, Mm -hmm. you can even get more of that, not making that the priority, making the priority the cultivation of trust, of vulnerability, and of going first.
Turned out that we landed on the first one of trust. <laughs> Perhaps this is a good opportunity to invite people to a round table. Yes. Um, and so let's look at our calendar. Uh, I would say either Thursday or Friday, the last Thursday or Friday of this month. Mm -hmm. um, go head over to Why Superstars and Facebook where we will come out live and have this discussion. So if you want to be a guest... Send us an email. Uh, a few people, you guys already know our numbers. Contact yep. us and let us know if you want to be part of this discussion. There's a lot of goodies in here. And we certainly want to hear from you guys because this is our platform. Yeah, awesome. Adios, muchachos, everyone. See you next time.